Superman and tights. <laughs> he may look, look like, like pansies. <laughs> but don't get us wrong or else we'll put out your lights. Calling all hunters. Welcome to episode four of Supernatural Books, The Winchesters and Prose. I'm Lane. I'm Diane. So today we're talking about chapters three and four of the Supernatural book, Nevermore, by Keith R.A. DeCandido. Which I, from now on, am just calling my first fan fiction. We all know that's a lie. No. (laughs) No. It's more like baby's first steps kind of thing instead of, like, it's definitely not my first fan fiction. (laughs) It's not even the first fan fiction that, like, I've read or written. Ugh. All right. Let's... Oh, I did a little a little nerdy stuff to kind of add in before we get started. All right, are we ready for this? Sure. The fastest route from South Bend, Indiana to the Bronx, which is where their boys are going, is 708 miles, and it takes 10 hours and 48 minutes. But we all know that Dean doesn't take major highways, so instead he'll likely take U.S. Route 6, which is 788 miles, and it takes 18 hours and 21 minutes. Okay, but I'm like, not done yet. <laughs> I was about to say, the Chevy Impala is pretty much a gas guzzler. <laughs> On Fuley, Fuley.com, there are three 1967 Impalas. They average 12.2 miles per gallon, and they have a tank size of 24 gallons. Average price of fuel in 2006 was $2.57. So filling up the Impala from E costs $61.68. To get to the Bronx, it will need to be filled up 2.71 times for a total of $185.04. I'm sorry, this is so expensive because, like, you know, I have a Kia Soul. So like- oh, I looked up my car to compare it. I drive a 2015 Prius C. It averages 45.5 miles per gallon. It's like, how much does it cost for you to fill up your tank? The tank size is 9.5 gallons, and it gets... An average of 432.25 miles per tank. The fill-up, I would all, to get to the Bronx, I'd have to fill it up 1.82. So I just round it. We'll just, I'll I'll fill it up twice for a total cost of $48.83 as compared to the $185. So mine's somewhere like a little bit above yours because like I have a 12 gallon tank Mm -hmm. and it, it averages about 315 mileage wise. But yeah... I mean, the Impala, I'm never going to say my Prius C is cooler than the Impala, <laughs> but when you're skimming credit cards, you want to use that shit as little as possible to reduce the risk of getting caught. So I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Oh, you want to hear something funny though? Sure. Because, you know, like my job is all I do with is like traffic tickets. So I was listening to Monster of the Week while I was putting in traffic tickets. Just in that day, I'd put in like seven Chevy Impalas. Really? None of them were like a 67. Right. Like, it was just like, like after the fourth one, I'm like, wait a minute, what? Yeah. Because <laughs> you put in so many tickets in a day, you're just like, you don't even notice. So I'm going to give a synopsis of chapter three. There are no scene breaks, so this is going to be the whole thing. Are you ready for this? Yeah, let's do this. All right. So chapter three starts on page 25, and I'll read the first couple lines. On the road... Interstate 80, approaching the George Washington Bridge, Thursday, 16 November, 2006. How can there be so many people on the road? Sam tried not to laugh out loud at Dean's plaintive cry, the fifth time he'd asked the question in the last ten minutes, a time span during which the Impala had moved forward maybe 50 feet. So the boys have been driving all night, 
Sam had suggested stopping at a motel, but Dean wanted to get there. They compromised by stopping at a motel in Pennsylvania long enough to shower and change clothes, then they hit the road again. But this also put them at the George Washington Bridge in the middle of rush hour traffic. Dean, of course, is going stir-crazy and complains that there has to be a faster way to the city. Sam explains yet again that the Lincoln Tunnel and the Holland Tunnel, I always forget about the Holland Tunnel, are farther away from the Bronx and traffic in the tunnels is apt to be even worse. To try to kill the time, Dean asks his brother about the Poe murders and impresses Sam by knowing of The Raven. Sam asks, you've read a poem? Dean replies, they did it on The Simpsons once. He momentarily flips his lid at the traffic. Can I just interject for a Uh second? Okay. All of chapter, what, three is this? Mm -hmm. The whole chapter is they're stuck in traffic. Yeah. That's literally the whole chapter. You guys are probably not going to like me because I start picking at threads. But it's just like, it starts to bug me after a while because it's like, we're stuck in traffic. You feel stuck in traffic the whole whole chapter. Maybe the author is going for that. Yeah, but it's just like, no one wants to be stuck in traffic. (laughs) That's why they skipped that shit in Supernatural. (laughs) So, but also, Dean, one of the neighborhoods that the Ash's friend lives in is Riverdale, like from the Archie comics. Okay. And uh, I really cracked up at this one. One of Dean's retorts to teasing Sam as he called him Marion the Librarian, which I'll is that. Yeah, from the musical The Music Man, oh. which means that Dean's staying up all night watching old musicals. Is Dean in the musicals? You never know. He could be. So Sam explains that the guy bricked up in the basement is from the cask of Amontillado, and the orangutan is from the murders on the Rue Morgue. The latter being the first ever detective story, which in turn influenced Sir Arthur Conan Doyle to create Sherlock Holmes. Now, is that actually true? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Sam explains the classes he took in college on American hauntings, not surprising, given the Winchester boy's background, that he tells Dean that he should read some of Poe's stories, saying... Some of this stuff sounds like it could have been right out of one of our jobs. You gotta wonder what he saw to make him write that. I mean, he practically created the horror genre. Can you, like, picture Poe as, like, a hunter, though? There's no way. Like, I don't see him as a hunter, but I could see him as, like, a prophet. He seems like he'd be too frail to be a hunter. I don't don't know if he could handle it, to be honest. But, like, you know, it might make sense. Yeah, I could see him as as a prophet. Yeah, just it's funny to me. Has anyone done that yet? Like, we've had Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, so we might as well have, like, a Growlin' Poe Hunter. Ooh, yeah. The scribe. So Dean asks what he thinks of these Poe murders happening again. Sam says that he checked the map, and both of the murders happened recently. We're exactly one mile from the Poe cottage. Dean is surprised that the Bronx has any cottages, but they did. And actually, I did look up some on the Poe cottage. Let me pull that up. So, looking at pictures of it... On the outside, it just looks like a house. Here, take a look at this. Yeah, it's like a simple... Looks like a little 1950s house. It's something you'd see anywhere in America, basically. Yeah, it, like nothing whatsoever. Not what you'd expect from the word cottage. But it also has a picture from 1913, um, and it looks pretty similar. It has that white clabbered that I, I attribute to like 1950s homes. I would have expected for Poe's cottage to either be made of stone or brick. Like, we're picturing, like, English cottage, though. Yes. So this one, this one's a little disappointing. But on the inside, it looks much... There went the Impala. Uh, on the inside, it looks more much more historical. It was actually moved from its original location. I hate it when they move things. It it's kind of takes away the historical value for me. Because mm-hmm. like, part of the history was where it was on that site. 
Oh, but there, there's one. They were having trouble with vandals damaging it. Vandals are hunters looking for stuff. Okay. Vandalism, this is on Wikipedia, by the way. Vandalism continued to occur over the next few years, though it tapered off by the end of the following decade, becoming less of a risk, due in part to the increased use of live-in caretakers. In the late 1990s, the cottage was under the care of a graduate student in philology, and it says philology. I I never heard of that. Or philosophy. P-H-I-L-O-L-O-G-Y. Weird. Who lived in the basement. How awesome! Would that be, as a grad student, to have your job to live in the basement of Poe's old cottage? No, I wouldn't be able to sleep. Oh, I would so be all over that. I wouldn't be able to sleep. I wouldn't get the job because my I would have to take my cats and they would destroy everything. You know, I was a total goth kid growing up, so obviously one of my favorite writers. Mm-hmm. But it's like mixture of excitement and horror because like i'd be so scared i'd mess something up in there it's like asking me to like live in hp lovecraft's old place it's like a i'm not 100 percent certain that they are actually true their stories because like you know i'm a crazy person (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i think that'd be cool is it p-h-i-l-o-l-o-g-y yeah uh the branch of knowledge that deals with the structure historical development and relationship of a language or languages Hmm. I knew I had something with words, but like I was picturing with like an F for some reason, like Unf- paper. <laughs> I mean, that's just weird. They're just gonna like. I just hope we never get any comments because they're all just gonna tell me how wrong I am about shit. <laughs> I'm just I'm not as smart as I think I am. So let's see. The Impala inches forward. They finally get through the toll booth. Uh, they head to the Henry Hudson Parkway. They take the northbound exit. While the rest of the traffic, most of the rest of the traffic, takes southbound toward Manhattan. So finally, traffic smooths out. Dean's mood lifts, especially after Sam tells him that Ash's friend's band is a 70s rock cover band. So they make their way through another troll booth, and finally they enter the Bronx. I could, like, literally sum this whole chapter up in a sentence, though. But then what would we talk about? They're stuck in traffic. I understand that some of it is very explanatory world building, so it's a lot of exposition of, like, hey... They can't do an easy pass because of their credit card fraud. And Sam still, he's using some really old phone that I forgot even existed until I pulled up a picture of it. Yeah, I didn't even know it was. It looked like an old Palm Pilot. This entire chapter is to do a little bit of world building of why they can and can't do certain things, which I guess is great, but it's not something most fans think about. The boys bitch because they're in traffic. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, I think they get lost in, in the Bronx. But sometimes I like getting to things in books where most fans don't think about it. And it's the same thing with the Star Trek books I read, where we're getting inside the characters' heads or, like, they were doing this because this. So I like books having that time to kind of delve into that when we would never see that in the TV show because we don't have the time to when it's, you know, frankly unimportant and should be glossed over. But a book has a little more room to breathe. I don't know. The writer in me thinks it's a little too choppy story-wise mm-hmm. mm-hmm. but um the phone is a i think it's called, pronounced treo is t-r-e-o look it up have your fun little flashback i'm doing this right now sam says the funniest sentence i've ever heard just because of how stupid it is because dean's asking him for toll money and he calls him mr pool hustling poker player man who pulls that out of their ass that's not Really? <laughs> really, Sam? Oh my god. 
I just saw, here's a picture of a Trail 300. See? I told you, right? It looks like a Texas Instruments calculator yeah. that's on steroids. It looks like a slightly smaller graphing calculator. It's, wow. Like, I don't know if anyone's had to pay $500 for those for, like, one college class and then never use it again. <laughs> they literally explain what's in Sam's pocket. So he has a ball of fluff, three quarters, several business cards that read Sam Winchester Reporter that he had made in some kind of, like, you know, Xerox print shop. And a he has a monogrammed, let me say this twice, monogrammed money clip. Because of course he does. Yeah. He was going to be such a lawyer. But, like, I want everyone to keep in mind the Sam Winchester reporter card thing. Because that's going to come up in the next chapter and it bugs me. Just letting y'all know. <laughs> I always hated the idea of his monogrammed money clip. He got pulled out of... It's like I can literally picture it in my mind. He got pulled out of Stanford just in time. Oh my gosh. You remember the uh, the Jin episode where Sam still stayed in Stanford and he was like... Yes! The douchebag with... Okay, and I, I think most people... You, I've only ever seen this once in real life and it was from a very, very rich people family where they have the cardigan over the shoulder thing. Sam kind of had that, I think, at one point and I'm just going, why... Like, he wanted so badly to be a yuppie asshole. This was, the, the monogram money clip was his, that was his entry token into that yuppie lifestyle. It's like, do you think he bought that as soon as he got into Stanford as like a present to himself? Or do you think that was like a gift from Jessica? Because she seems like the kind of person who would do something like that. I'd say either or. Either it was like a congratulatory present to himself, either for getting away from his dad and brother, or it was a gift from, from Jessica. <laughs> He's just holding a silver money clip with SW on it going, you did it, Sam. You made it. <laughs> Bought it with legit money you, you earned working at the college library. He's a college quiz note, because <laughs> I'm just picturing him in that hat. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Oh, my God. I needed that. I'm just picturing him in a quiz note. <laughs> it's probably the first thing he ever oh, bought. not even a thing anymore. I think that was on the chopping block of, like, things millennials have ruined was, like, a quiz note. Uh-huh. Because oh. apparently we ruin everything because we don't get paid money like the rest of the world. Hey, when, like, a better business model comes along, it's going to win. That's how it is. And millennials are ruining everything because we eat a lot of avocados. I don't know, because we like fresher food. We like streaming because we don't want to drive to a video store to rent something that's been out for six months, but is still under the new releases title so that they can charge you five bucks for there it. There is literally, I there is only one video store I know of that still exists in Ohio and is right down the street from where I live. It's a family video. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That has been open as long as my, like, because I live, like, right down the street from my dad. Mm -hmm. So, like, I remember going up when I was little and, like, having weekends with them. And that's somewhere we would go. It's right next to, like, a Little Caesars. And I just feel like that's where everybody goes every once in a while. Because I'm I'm looking at it like, I don't understand how this is still open. My mom used to take me and my brother every Friday to Channel One Video out in Western Avenue. And I still remember what it looks like. And we were always so excited to go there. It's like, oh, cool. What are we going to check out next? Because Super Nintendo had just come out, I believe. Oh, Lord. And we were excited to check out the new games. And we rented a Sega Genesis. That was my first console. If we want to like talk about how old we both are at this point. Mm-hmm. And I played Aladdin. Nice. 
And I mean, it sucked so bad. Video it. stores were great for that time when there were no other options, but when a better options came along, yes, that business model is going to win out, and it's not the fault of millennials or Generation Z or whatever. It's just that's how the world works. We only get paid so much, and we want to do better things with our time. Yep. Like read fan fiction. Yeah, like stuff is free, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get off of that rant for a while. <laughs> Good lord. Speaking of rant, like they end up, this chapter ends with them talking about the movie Madagascar. I can't. I can't even like begin to discuss that Dean has watched or likes this movie, or that he knows that the uh, Bronx Zoo is run by the Wildlife Conservation Society. Well, he knows that because I because don't know if you remember the racist Cassie. truck episode. Yeah, the racist truck episode. Was that one called Route 666? Something like that, where it's basically like... Wasn't it like her parents killed somebody who was racist towards them? Because, like, they were sneaking around because, like, her dad's black and she's white. And it's, like, Mississippi, so... Uh (laughs) Yeah, I can't remember. I just... Uh, And there was, like... I tried to block that episode out of my, my head. I don't know. It was like they were trying to do, like, Christine, but racist. Was Christine racist? Uh, I don't think so. I think just murderous, right? Mur- like very possessive of of the driver, the kid who bought her. I really want to do a Stephen King podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> no, because then we'd have to get into like like the Dark Tower series or shit like that. Oh, I fucking love the Dark Tower. And that's I don't, my jam. I don't know. That's like going to be forever. That's my jam. <sighs> All things toward the beam. All right. <laughs> so yeah, that, I don't really have anything much to say about chapter three. Like you said, it's them. Basically sitting on the George Washington Bridge. Bitching at each other. And then, like, the world's dumbest comeback I've ever heard from Sam. Ever. I mean, to be fair, I don't. I wouldn't... Um, I, I, I wouldn't I, put it past it, because like, especially, like, in the early writing, they had some really dumb things they said to one another. I mean, the brothers are going to say dumb things to one another. Like, you and I say dumb things to one another. <laughs> <laughs> I say dumb shit to my brother. So. <laughs> I say dumb shit to my cat, to my brothers, to you, whatever. Uh, to myself. It's like when you think you've got a great comeback, and then halfway through you realize you don't, and it just kind of peters out yeah. into, like, mumbling. All right. So let me do a quick synopsis of... Can Chapter I four. Pull up the Bronx Zoo because I, I I have no idea. I have no frame of reference. You know, we live we live in Ohio, so it's the Columbus Zoo, which is like one of the best zoos in the world, or some shit like that. So like, I have no zoo. frame of reference of what other zoos are even like. And the Cincinnati Zoo had that baby hippo, Fiona. I mean, come on, that was adorable. Yeah. I wish I'd gotten to see her. Let's see. So the Bronx Zoo. Uh, apparently, Queens has a zoo too. There's Queens Zoo. The only zoos I've heard of from fame versus just from living nearby, I've heard of the San Diego Zoo. I think I've heard of the Bronx Zoo. I actually can't remember. And they're not even showing pictures of animals. They're showing pictures of people doing people things. I know. I just want to see like a map at this point. Ooh, Central Park has a zoo. What? I think they have like a little thing. Like, I, I don't have too much frame of reference of New York City, and I apologize to anyone who listens to this who's actually in New York City. Do they feed the animals in the Central Park Zoo with the murder victims that they find every morning? God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I'm evil. Oh, man. <laughs> this website actually isn't the greatest. Well, I want to I wanna look up Wild Asia, since that's what they talk about. While you're looking that up, I'm going to do the synopsis. So, 
Oh, they're talking about the Wild Asia Monorail. Okay. <clears throat> which is closed right now due to weather. Chapter 4. The Bronx Zoo, The Bronx, New York. Thursday, 16 November 2006. Claire Hemsworth brushed the bits of grass off the Wildlife Conservation Society logo on her blue shirt as she headed out into the pavilion in front of the Wild Asia ride. The crowds were a bit sparse in November, but visitors to the Bronx Zoo still wanted to go on Wild Asia. Personally, Claire doesn't see the appeal. The monorail is so retro, and seeing animals wandering around isn't that big of a deal. The monorail is a cheesy piece of plastic that Claire's convinced will fall off the rail any day now. She's generally in a bad mood ever since what happened to those two kids. She's been stuck talking to reporters, police lawyers, and she's really, really sick of it. From behind her, she... I can't get over the accent you're giving. Uh, oh, she is total vocal fry material. From behind her, she hears, Excuse me, Miss Hemsworth. Claire closes her eyes and lets out a breath. This is how all of these conversations start. She turns and is met with the hottest guy she's ever seen. There's another... <laughs> no, it's literally... You guys don't understand. This is literally a sentence in the book. She turned and saw the hottest man she has ever seen in her life. Yeah. There's, really? <laughs> there's another with him, but she doesn't pay attention to him. Right, because, you know, Dean's not super fucking hot either. Yeah. This guy is tall, but not intimidating, has a sexy voice and shaggy hair, amazing brown eyes, and she decides then and there that she'll do anything he asks. <laughs> I need to read this word for it because it's absolutely amazing. He's tall, too, but not intimidating the way some tall guys were. His semi-shaggy dark hair was combed neatly, and he had an adorable small nose. <laughs> I gotta breathe. Adorable small nose. I gotta breathe. Like, to me, it's like... Okay, like, I did start watching this when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. So I could gush with someone over, like, that. And you've seen them do it, like, in the show. Yeah. But it's just, like, seriously? Like, this girl has been fielding every person under the sun. And I get it. She's tired. She's done. So, yeah, having a little man candy come in... Mm -hmm drooling over him that's great but you got dean who's literally like soap opera hot because that's what he was from yeah but she she's a professional woman she's a caretaker of these primates she she's is 12 okay exactly she has she is coming across as a fucking like, and you can, she's actually like either a teenager or early 20s mm -hmm. so she's roughly the boy's age according to this i'd say early 20s because i think you have to have college. some scientific well she's doing that to learn some more but i think you have to have some kind of yeah how did this girl who's this young become a full-on caretaker right for one because i'm pretty sure you're supposed to have like a degree or something and is high up enough to talk to lawyers reporters so i'm guessing she's mid be, i can't pull she's got to be mid-20s at least but she acts like a preteen. The shorter one says, shorter one, aka Dean, tells them that Dean is now John Mayall and it's Bernie Watson. And so we both know that, and I, I did look this up, that we both know that they do like their bullshit, I'm a musician name. Mm -hmm. So I looked it up and these are like the obscurest things I've ever heard of. So John Mayall is an English blues singer, guitarist, organist, and songwriter. Okay. He started in the 60s for, with John Mayall and the Blues Breakers. Okay. So, like, a I've blues never musician. heard English blues. <laughs> this would be interesting. 
And the one that cracks me up is this uh, Bernie Watson, who's also his his wiki is under Bernard Watson. He literally only has one musical credit to his name, and he was the opening act for Live Aid. And the reason, and this is why I like it, the reason he was the opening act for like the biggest concert that's ever happened on this planet is because he slept outside the stadium for a week. Yeah, until the producer was basically in the spirit of, it says literally in here, in the spirit of charity, let him perform. Wow. And he played two songs. Wow. I love it. I love everything about that. (sighs) (laughs) It's just, that's a whole level of I'm going to do this that you just don't really see anymore. Now, Claire did get a couple points won back from for her on um, my point of view when she said that the orangutans that they borrowed from Philadelphia are named, like she nicknamed them Hank and Dean from the Venture Brothers. But it's also to do a Dean joke because like from now on, Dean, a.k.a. John Mayall, is going to literally like have an epileptic fit every mm-hmm. time Dean, the, uh, the orangutan, is brought up. But it also cracks me up because, okay... So the author made a point in the last chapter, I almost said episode, last chapter to point out that Sam has Sam Winchester reporter. They're saying the reporters from National Geographic. Now I know per formula that they have to be like rock stars or whatever. (laughs) You have a reporter card just waiting because like later in this chapter, he gives her his number and says, sorry, we don't have any cards right now. And it's just but like... his reporter card had his, na- his know, actual name. I know, but it's just like you had a reporter card. You could have just used your name. Ugh. Nobody's looking for you. But, You're looking for Dean at this point. But he might have been one of the uh, the known affiliates of Dean. Now, like, if, if we... Okay, so, like, for those who probably don't remember because it's been a million years, um, they do make comments in this book about how Dean is wanted by the police and FBI as a murder suspect for when he was in the shapeshifter episode. And when we did the commentary episode, they even talk about how Sam is super disappointed because there's not even a warrant out for his arrest as or like a person of interest or anything. And Dean was making fun of him because apparently he's not bad enough to be a bad guy or whatever, like bullshit macho thing they were fighting over so <laughs> like let's just keep that in mind so like that's kind of what lane's talking about but to me it was just like what was the significance of pointing that out in his pocket why the fuck would he have a fake business card with his real name with his real name uh, uh. okay <clears throat> so okay i'm done pulling that thread let me talk about hey dean the, the orangutan so Claire explains to them that once they found Dean... Oh, and the reporter for National Geographic, by the way. Yeah. He was scared to death. He w- he wouldn't eat. He was in- he was hiding in his enclosure. Right, so something has made him change his behaviors before he went missing. Right. And then once they caught him afterward, they did some blood tests and found that he was hopped up on amphetamines. Claire said that they were afraid that Dean would have to be euthanized, that families of victims of animal attacks usually call for it, and judges usually rule in favor of the families. But thankfully, the families of both of these kids that were killed were members of the WCS, and the families were sympathetic. And once the blood test proved that Dean was drugged, the families didn't insist. So the zoo was able to get the orangutan back. 
but he is, uh, even though he's back, he's not back in the exhibit area. He's extremely traumatized. He won't eat until Claire leaves. He won't go near Hank, and he won't let Claire hold him. Right, he's quarantined off <clears throat> and, like, is not letting anyone yeah. near him. So that's the vital information we get from Claire, which is about a paragraph's worth of information. Yeah. The rest of the chapter is her rolling her eyes at how stupid Dean is, yeah. a.k.a. John. Like, she questions why National Geographic would be doing a story mm-hmm. about the orangutan. And he goes, hey, we can't all have all our stories be naked pictures of pygmies. <sighs> Which, Lane just did an eye roll. Claire in the story just did an eye roll. <laughs> <laughs> Don't compare me to her. I'm just letting you know. You know, and she says later on, like, he's trying too hard. He does. And he does try too hard because, like, if you notice, especially in the earlier seasons, when Sam starts getting attention that Dean doesn't get or a girl is playing, which I'm sure Dean is considering hard to get, Mm -hmm. he tries way too hard, which is like, Dean is a 10. Mm -hmm. He doesn't need to try. Yeah. He's just a big (laughs) goofball. Dean as a character for me is more genuine when he allows himself to be. Otherwise, when he's on just on the surface and being dude bro and annoying and obnoxious, I can't help but to roll my eyes at him. But when he becomes genuine and real, he's just he become, he blossoms as a character. I, I don't blame this writer. I, I really do blame the writers from the very beginning series because Dean as a character is kind of a douchebag Mm -hmm. for like the first couple seasons like basically I'm gonna chalk it up to their age Mm -hmm. because like I don't know if any of you guys remember being that age but everyone's a douchebag until they're like 27 if not further we got the vital information from this Claire woman and then the rest of it is just bullshit it's her you know rolling her eyes at Dean and fawning over Sam and then her talking about how she wants to go to law school and Sam going, oh, hey, I was in law school. Oh, my gosh. No way. Me, too. Me, too. Blah, 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 blah. You know what I sucks? Went... She's going to be your recurring character in this book. <gasps> She's going to be the love interest for this episode. <sighs> yeah. I just would like to stay for the record. I know I'm being super hard on this book. I do not blame the author for majority of this. I just, I can't. I just can't. <laughs> I don't like Claire. She annoys me. So let me, to wrap up the chapter. They do use one of my least favorite words in this chapter. Coquettish. The coquettish smile. Yeah. Really? Really? 90% uh, of this, this podcast for this first book is me going to be going, really? <laughs> really, lady? Really, Sam? So Sam asks if they can see... The orangutan, but Claire says she can't allow that. Right now, she is the only one allowed in there because she's the orangutan's handler. So Sam gives her his number and asks her to call him if she thinks of anything. But as they leave, something is niggling at the back of Claire's mind. I will say Claire is not stupid. She may be fawning over, oh my gosh, Sam is so hot, or Bernie, or whatever. Really? Bernie? Bernie, But whatever they call Like, she says in there... That's a great name. And I'm just going, no, sweetie, you're just horny. (laughs) That's not a great name. So, but like, basically she puts two and two together a little bit about how they didn't ask the right questions. They didn't follow the question sheet that is set up for reporters, which is what most things do whenever there's a scandal like this. There's Mm -hmm. a preset 
list of questions reporters ask from. And uh, also, National Geographic is in D.C., which is, what, like a 202 area code? Something like that. And then Sam's, or Bernie's, whatever, is the 650, which she's trying to, like, explain it out like, oh, well, he probably never changed his number from when he was at Stanford. But she's still, like... I'm not really sure, and she does the smartest move I've seen any girl in the early seasons do, which is she calls security. Yeah. Which is where the chapter ends, she calls security. So here's, which is good for her. Here's hoping she um, gets over that 12-year-old gushing about the cute guy in class No, I get it. I think if I met them in real life, I would be a little, like, nonverbal. Cause they are Why couldn't she be nonverbal? Uh, well, you can't be nonverbal in a book. <laughs> <laughs> sure you can. Okay, Have like, you ever read Nick Andros in The Stand? Or The Hunger Games. <laughs> Most of what she has one. in her head. Yeah. It doesn't carry well if they're trying to have a dialogue scene with no dialogue. Yeah. But it's, it's rough. It's rough going. I'm going to chalk a lot of this up to when this book was written. Because I'd like to see, think that we've evolved... As a writer society. Oh. I'm not counting Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, that was... I'm not counting it. Yeah. Well, that that's book... not a book. That's an abomination. Yeah. But I'm just saying. Just saying. Like, hmm. I probably am going to come off super bitchy in this episode, but it's just like, there's a lot of threads to be pulled. And that's, that's just who I am as a person, okay? I didn't go on the rant I wanted to go on earlier because after I realized where we were in the series about... Because mm-hmm. uh, they do talk about how Sam is still using his actual bank account from when he was in Stanford for mm-hmm. his internet and phone bill, which I'm hoping he gets rid of later for obvious reasons. But just because, you know, that's obviously attached to his real name. They're looking for Dean Winchester right now. And any cop worth his salt, which I don't remember the name of the FBI agent, but he was pretty worth his salt back in the day. Yeah, what was his? He was great. I, I start with an H. Damn. Yeah, huh? oh, I gotta look it up. Yep. Um, I literally was just talking about him the other day. Victor Hendrickson. Hendrickson. I knew that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's something I think Hendrickson with his crazy Twin Peaks logic would be able to find pretty quickly. I wish he had stuck around. He was a great character. Yeah. Yeah. He was. Supernatural does have a bad habit of squandering great characters, though. Yeah. Especially if they're women. Yeah. They get slightly better about it, but I swear to all that is holy in this world, if Jody Mills dies, I will burn their set to the ground. Yeah. So if that happens in season 14, nobody tell me, because I haven't finished season 14, and every time I see her in an episode, I can't enjoy it because I'm so concerned for her safety. I love Jodie. Because they've killed every other character I like. Yeah. Almost everyone. Like, I'm not counting, like, the main three who can't die because they've died nine million times. Gotcha. And they have died, so that counts as killing my favorite character. True. So, yeah. But if Jodie Mills dies... Everybody dies. <laughs> <laughs> if she goes down, we're taking everyone else down with her. I like Jody, and I like her blonde friend. What's her name? Donna? Oh, no, but I love her. She's amazing. Yeah. Do we have anything else to say on the book? Um, I'm going to try to be more positive as time goes on, but nobody holds their breath. <laughs> Claire better change as a character. It's not going to happen. Sorry, I just said I was going to try and be more positive. It's a knee-jerk reaction. (laughs) 
alright, well, um, if you want to reach us, actually have the email out, and... Because we have stuff like that. Yes. Where did I put it? We're super official, guys. You can email us at supernaturalpros at gmail.com, or message us at on Twitter at Impala Books. Peace out. Bye, everybody. I'm sure we'll come up with a tagline at some point. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs>